We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 366 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, August 1st, 2022. July is done. August has begun. Uh, And the next 48 hours will be huge in Washington, D.C. sports. The MLB trade deadline is on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. We know that the Nationals will be selling off a number of players. Will those players include... Juan Soto, are we in fact on the verge of one of the biggest trades in D.C. sports history? Much more on that later in the show. Hope that you had a nice weekend. I had a nice weekend. Sanity has been restored at the Galdi Estate. My wife was away for nine days. I didn't talk about this last week. I don't know why, but my wife was away for nine days. She now is back. But I had the kids all to myself for nine days, a soon-to-be five-year-old son and a soon-to-be two-year-old daughter. And let me just say, do you remember the famous play on which Laurent Landry got run over by Brandon Jacobs? This is a famous play. Uh, Week 15 of the 2007 season, Redskin safety Laurent Landry run over by New York Giants running back. Brandon Jacobs. This happened on Sunday Night Football. The late, great John Madden on NBC said of Landry having been run over by Jacobs, quote, where in the heck did that truck come from, end quote. Well, me watching the two kids on my own, I was Laurent Landry. They were Brandon Jacobs. I got run over. I got steamrolled. I got trucked. No doubt about it. And I even had help. Uh, My mom helped out a lot. And yet still, uh, I got bulldozed. Uh, So thankfully, order has been restored. Uh, I now have a whole new respect for single parents. I have to say that. So shout out to all of the single moms and single dads. I do not know uh, how you do it. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Rest in peace to the greatest winner in sports history, Bill Russell, who has passed away at the age of 88. Bill Russell at the University of San Francisco, a two-time All-American, won two consecutive NCAA championships, led the team to 55 consecutive wins at one point, and he won a gold medal 
at the 1956 Olympics. And then Bill Russell over 13 NBA seasons with the Boston Celtics won 11 NBA titles, the last two of which came as a player coach as he was the NBA's first black head coach. Bill Russell is the only player in NBA history to play in at least 10 game sevens and not lose a single one. He never lost a game seven. Uh, Like I said, winner. Well, the NFL team, now known as the Commanders, has not been a winning team nearly often enough for decades now. We can only hope that that is in the process of changing. Uh, Commanders training camp continues, and I on this show have a lot for you from the last few days of Commanders training camp. We had practices on Friday and Saturday. No practice on Sunday, but there was a lot that went down on Friday and Saturday. Next segment, I will discuss the Chase Young news. He is out for at least week one. Uh, He will not be available for the start of the regular season. Ron Rivera on Friday broke the news and got testy in being asked about the news. You will hear angry Ron Uh, as well as all of the key audio from Commander's training camp over the last few days. Uh, We had good stuff from two other Commander's players coming off serious injury situations, Curtis Samuel and Chase Roulier. Uh, Speaking of key audio, William Jackson III, uh, he on Saturday morning addressed his struggles of last season and why things are better now. Uh, You'll hear what he said as I have a proper William Jackson the third segment for you. You know, it is very much a big deal how he does this coming season uh, in his second season with Washington. And I will pay tribute to the now retired Ryan Kerrigan. Uh, big news on Friday. Maybe not as big as the retirement of Antonio Gandy-Golden, but still, this this was big news. Uh, Ryan Kerrigan retiring. Uh, Kerrigan on Friday signed a one-day contract with the Commanders so that he could retire as a member of the franchise, for which he is the all-time regular season sack king. Uh, Ryan Kerrigan was a tremendous player and person for the Redskins during a time in which they had too few tremendous players and people. I'll look back at the career of Ryan Kerrigan, and I will praise the job that the Commanders did in honoring Kerrigan. Uh, The team did a nice job with this. Uh, I will go in-depth on the Nats, specifically the latest in the Juan Soto situation, and on where the Nats are at regarding the MLB trade deadline in general. I mean, it's not just Soto who could be gone come Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, The Nats over the weekend lost two of three games to the St. Louis Cardinals at Nationals Park. We'll take you through what mattered from the series, including another bad outing for Josiah Gray. And the Nats putting Eric Fetty on the 15-day injured list, but still not calling up their top prospect and one of the top pitching prospects in baseball, Cade Cavalli. Uh, I have a lot to say about that. And I'll talk Orioles. Uh, They, over the weekend, lost two or three games at the Cincinnati Reds, despite a really good series from Anthony Santander, and despite another impressive outing from ex-NAD Austin Voth. What is happening with Austin Voth should be tracked by every Nats fan who should be asking the question, how come the O's are getting substantial production from Voth when the Nats got next to nothing from Voth for years? You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of tweets on the retiring Ryan Kerrigan, including some advocating for Washington 
to have kept Kerrigan. A tweet from Phil was hoping Kerrigan might find his way onto the team, a la Thomas Davis a couple years back. Tweet from Robert, I wish that the team would have found a way to keep Kerrigan here, especially after 97 and 98 left. Uh, So Robert's talking about Lorenzo Alexander and Brian Arakpo. Yeah, look, Ron Rivera, after the 2020 season, thought that Kerrigan was done. Uh, That was clear. Washington in the 2021 offseason had no interest in re-signing Kerrigan as an unrestricted free agent. Kerrigan himself has admitted to this. And the truth is that Ron has more or less been proven right, uh, given that Kerrigan's playing career now is over just a year later. You know, Kerrigan last season for the Philadelphia Eagles did next to nothing in the regular season, although he did have a good game in the postseason. Email from the Rally Mullet on the trustworthiness of the man who runs Nationals baseball operations, Mike Rizzo, writes the rally mullet. I feel like anything Mike Rizzo says, the opposite happens. He said that he wasn't going to trade Juan Soto, and then the news broke that Soto might be traded. Rizzo said that Patrick Corbin will not be included in a Soto deal. I think that means (laughs) that Corbin will be included in a Soto deal. Uh, Thank you for the email, Rally Mullet. Yeah, you know, to me, the most underrated aspect of the collapse of the Nats over the last few years by far is Mike Rizzo. Um, There is a lack of heat being taken by Rizzo that, to me, really is something. Uh, I do not hear and see a lot of people in the Washington, D.C. sports media addressing the role that Mike Rizzo has played in this collapse of the Nats. And understand, I have been a big fan of Mike Rizzo for years. I remain a fan of Mike Rizzo. I years ago christened Rizzo the ninja because of his ninja-like trades in which he fleeced teams. I even have a special soundbite for Ninja Rizzo whenever he strikes. Yes, that right there, the sound of the ninja strike. But the truth is the truth. Mike Rizzo's drafts have been really bad for way too long. And the Nats farm system and player development have become really bad. And all of that has been under Rizzo's watch. Uh, As for what he has said on the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan, first about not trading Juan Soto, and then more recently about not including Patrick Corbin in a trade of Soto, uh, well, I hope like heck that Rizzo does not include Corbin in a trade of Soto. Not because I don't want Corbin gone, but because Juan Soto is one of the all-time trade chips in Major League Baseball. He should be used to bring back a massive haul of stud prospects for a Nats team in dire need of stud prospects. Soto should not be used as a means of dumping Patrick Corbin, especially considering that after this season, there are only two seasons left on Corbin's contract. The Nats in December 2018 signed Corbin as a free agent to a six-year, $140 million contract. Just two seasons are left on that contract after this season. The Corbin contract is not nearly the albatross that the Steven Strasburg contract is. The Nats in December 2019 re-signed Strasburg as a free agent to a seven-year, $245 million contract. There are four seasons left on that contract after this season. Strasburg at this point would seem to be untradeable given the contract and given that he just cannot stay healthy. Well, the health of your skin certainly matters a lot. Certainly many of us are 
out in the sun a lot right now with it being summer and whatever your dermatological needs may be, know that Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Commanders fan. He is a loyal listener of this podcast and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Uh, The institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer treatments for conditions such as acne, psoriasis, and eczema. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer state-of-the-art services such as Botox, laser hair removal, and chemical peels. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer advanced treatments for many skin cancers. Heck, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. That's 301-396-3401. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. That's 301-396-3401. You can also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skincare, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Ratings and reviews help out the podcast a lot. If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give the podcast a five-star rating. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can write a review of the podcast. Uh, The review does not have to be long. can be just a sentence or two saying that you like the podcast. And thank you for doing the ratings and the reviews. As 2022 Commander's Training Camp goes on, uh, you certainly cannot get too sucked into who is and who isn't practicing on a given day. Uh, Guys are given rest days. There are no formal injury reports. Uh, Now that said, you do look for trends. In other words, if you don't see a player practicing for multiple days, well, that is something. Uh, Commander's running back Antonio Gibson had not practiced over the first three days of camp, but he on Saturday morning was participating in practice. Uh, He was participating in individual drills, so that was good to see. He was coming off a hamstring injury uh, that he dealt with during the offseason program. The Commanders, like every other NFL team, of course, have multiple significant players coming off injuries from last season. Three of the most significant Commanders players coming off injuries from last season are edge defender Chase Young, receiver Curtis Samuel, and center Chase Rulier. And we, over the last few days at Commander's Training Camp, had news on and or heard from these players. Uh, The biggest item had to do with Chase Young. Uh, He is not going to be available for the start of the regular season. Uh, We had suspected this, but this now has been confirmed. Uh, Chase, of course, is coming off a torn right ACL. He suffered that in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field last November 14th. The commanders last Tuesday afternoon placed Chase on the active, physically unable to perform list, what is known as the preseason pup list. Uh, Also, last Tuesday afternoon was a pre-training camp press conference for Commander's head coach Rodden Rivera, who very much preached caution with Chase Young. Uh, The Commander's last Tuesday afternoon put four players on the active, physically unable to perform list. Ron, at that pre-training camp press conference, said that Chase was likely to be the player who took the most time to return 
from his injury in terms of the four commanders players on the preseason pup list. And then this past Friday morning, Ron Rivera, during a post-practice press conference, said that Chase will not be ready for week one. Uh, You know, we had Redskins quarterback Robert Griffin III in his 2013 comeback from a torn right ACL and LCL being all in for week one. Uh, Chase, in his 2022 comeback from a torn right ACL, now is all out for week one. Uh, Now, how this was revealed was interesting. The news of Chase being out for early in the regular season was first said by Ron Rivera on Friday morning in an appearance on the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan. That prompted the asking of Ron during his post-practice press conference on Friday morning about the timetable for Chase Young. Here was Ron's answer. Well, I don't think there's a fair timetable, you know, other than he'll, he'll probably start off on pup into the regular season, active pup. Um, just it's, it's, unfor- it's unfortunate, um, but it was a serious, you know, injury, obviously, with, with surgery, and um, he's doing everything he's supposed to. He's, uh, he's on time as far as uh, where the doctors think he should be. And, um, you know, as he, as he gets better and better, we can update you. But right now, this is, he, he's right where he needs to be. All right, so Ron Rivera right there said that Chase Young might begin the regular season on, quote, active pup, end quote. Uh, that's technically incorrect. Chase, if he started the regular season on the physically unable to perform list, would be on what is called the reserve physically unable to perform list, the reserve pup list. Uh, That is the regular season version of the pup list, but whatever, not a big deal. Uh, After that answer from Ron, we got the following exchange involving Commander's Insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com, Ron Rivera, and Commander's Insider John Keim of ESPN. And this was where things started to get a little testy uh, during the press conference. Now, nothing major right here, but you'll hear some confusion. Here you go. And I know they changed the rules. So he starts the season on Pup. Is that four games now? Is that correct? No, it, I, think it's, I think it's a few more. Um, I believe it's six. But, uh, but we'll see how it all goes. You said you were expecting to start on Pup? I, I, th- I think going yes, going into the season, yes, okay. he will not he will not play the first game. I'm gonna put it that way. I'm not gonna say he's gonna start on puck. Okay. He won't. He will not be ready for the first game. So he could start the season on I. On re- he could be yes. Yes. Gotcha. It just depends on where he is. I mean, I, I can't tell you. The doctors are the only one that could tell you. Yeah. One of the things you had mentioned was, you know, obviously you guys had to check in on him when he got here because he had been away. Was there any, you know, how was no, that evaluation? That, that evaluation was very good. Young man's done a hell of a job to get himself where he is today. Doctors are very pleased with where he is today. Uh, everything is, is going about as good as we can expect it. Um, and we'll see. Okay, so some confusion in that exchange and also something else from Ron Rivera that was incorrect. Uh, the new rule for the reserve physically unable to perform list, aka the reserve pup list, aka the regular season pup list, is that a player who begins the regular season on the reserve pup list only has to miss his team's first four games. Uh, that's a new rule for the 2022 season. And the same now is true for players on the reserve injured list, aka injured reserve. A player on that only has to miss four games. Uh, Now, this stuff can be confusing, and maybe Ron got confused or forgot the changes. Okay, fine. That kind of thing happens. Uh, Although, Ron is the head of football operations for the commanders. Uh, He is the head coach in the coach-centric approach. He is Don Ron. Uh, He should know this stuff. 
And maybe he does know this stuff. Maybe he just forgot. You know, that can happen. Like, you know something, but in the moment, you forget that you do know that something. Well, fast forward to later in Ron's post-practice press conference on Friday morning. Perhaps Ron was embarrassed by the confusion. Perhaps Ron just does not like being asked specifics about player injuries. Perhaps Ron was annoyed with the continued questions regarding Chase Young. But after fielding questions on other players coming off slash dealing with injuries, players uh, like receiver Curtis Samuel and center Chase Roulier, take a listen to this exchange. Michael Phillips and Ron Rivera. With going back to Chase for a second, is there... I guess when, when, when you get- guys, I, I can't tell you, I, I can't. You guys want me to give you a number? I can't give you a number. I don't want to put pressure on the young man to try and hit a number that I can't give you. I mean, it's frustrating for me, you know, and to, to get asked every day the same question. And I give you this, try to give you pretty much the same answer, okay? No. When he gets back, though, you guys won't clear him until you feel he's ready to be full go. Yeah, that, that? believe me, I'm, that's where the doctors come in. okay uh ron rivera got annoyed got ticked off got angry on friday uh i don't know why but i found that funny but bottom line chase young is out for week one and probably is going to be out beyond week one and while this isn't shocking this obviously isn't good now i do commend the commanders for taking a conservative measured prudent approach with the recovery of Chase Young. Uh, RG3's all-in for week one campaign, in hindsight, was a terrible decision. Uh, His situation was different than Chase's situation, but I do applaud the commanders, and that includes Ron Rivera and Chase Young, for putting as little pressure as possible on Chase in his recovery. However, you know, obviously, we all want Chase Young in the 2022 season to have a bounce-back season from his disappointing 2021 season. Well, Chase in the 2022 season will be a beginning his 2022 regular season, at least a game and likely multiple games into the season. And B will be coming off a serious injury in a torn right ACL. Uh, Those two realities do not lend themselves toward Chase having a bounce back 2022 season. It's important to understand something about Chase Young's recovery. He's coming off serious surgery Even by torn ACL standards, uh, Chase in a post-OTA practice press conference this past June 1st revealed that a graft from his left patellar tendon was used for his right knee, uh, indicating that his right ACL was reconstructed and not simply repaired. So Chase is coming off very significant surgery. Again, even by torn ACL standards, uh, I hope like heck that Chase Young has a great 2022 season, but I tell you, the likelihood of that doesn't feel sky high right now. And the truth is that it may well not be until the 2023 season that we have a true bounce back season potential for Chase. Uh, it has been said that an athlete doesn't truly feel like his or herself coming off a torn ACL until the season after the comeback season. Well, unfortunately, that may end up being the case for Chase Young. And what's notable here is that next offseason, the 2023 offseason, is when the commanders will have to decide on whether to exercise the fifth-year option in Chase's rookie contract. Uh, He had a great 2020 rookie season. 
He had a disappointing 2021 season during which he suffered the torn right ACL. Remember, his 2021 season was a major disappointment prior to suffering the torn right ACL. If Chase's 2022 season ends up being a lost season or a second straight lackluster season, then what with the fifth-year option in his rookie contract? Now, personally, I think that it would take a lot for the commanders not to exercise the fifth-year option in Chase's rookie contract, but there would be a conversation about whether they should exercise that fifth-year option if we go into the 2023 offseason with him only truly having been very good in one of his three NFL seasons. But uh, we are not there yet, and hopefully we do not get to being there. Uh, Hopefully Chase Young kills it in the 2022 season, whenever he makes his season debut. Uh, Meantime, Curtis Samuel. So I, on Friday show, episode 365, talk Curtis Samuel off him during Thursday morning's training camp practice, having had perhaps the play of the day, Curtis juking past corner Benjamin St. Juice on a reception from quarterback Carson Wentz. Uh, Curtis stuck his foot in the ground to make a cut, actually lunged backwards a la a step-back move in basketball, and Curtis ended up burning Benjamin. Curtis ended up burning the juice. Uh, Washington, in March 2021, signed Curtis Samuel as an unrestricted free agent. Three-year, $34.5 million contract with $21.5 million fully guaranteed at signing. But Curtis, in the 2021 regular season, played in just five of Washington's 17 games due to the groin injury that ended up being a bit more than your basic groin injury. Uh, We this past November 27th had multiple reports that Curtis in June 2021 underwent core muscle surgery. Curtis Samuel on Friday morning did a post-practice press conference. Here he was on if he now feels 100%. No, yeah, I feel good. I mean, I feel fast. You know, that's the main thing. I mean, I'm flying around out there and I'm able to do stuff that um, I used to do. So I'm excited about that. All right. So Curtis Samuel saying that he feels fast. Uh, He went 100% is quite fast. Uh, Curtis Samuel at the 2017 NFL Scouting Combine ran a 4-3-1-40. For comparison's sake, one of the greatest deep threats in NFL history, Uh, former Redskins receiver Deshaun Jackson he at the 2008 NFL Scouting Combine ran a 4.3540. Curtis's combined 40 time was faster than Deshaun's combined 40 time. Uh, Curtis Samuel on Friday morning on what a successful 2022 season for him would look like. Um, just make things happen. Uh, you know, help the offense uh, be dynamic, uh, create big plays, uh, score touchdowns. Um. And, you know, most importantly, just be available. Just be out there. Yeah, it's worth noting that Curtis Samuel prior to last season had had somewhat of an injury history. He missed the final seven games of his 2017 rookie regular season due to a left ankle injury that required surgery. He missed the first three games of the 2018 regular season, reportedly due to needing to undergo a procedure to fix an irregular heartbeat. Uh, Curtis Samuel on Friday morning on the toughest part about his 2021 season. Uh, just mentally, just not, just not really understanding, like, why is this happening? You know, that was just, that was just tough for me. It was at one point, I felt like I'm feel, I feel good. And the next minute I don't feel good. So it was just so confusing, you know, finally to get past that, you know, to feel good going out there each and every day, knowing that I'm going out there to compete, you know, I'm just uh, happy to be out there. 
Yeah, I mean, as frustrated as we all were with what happened with Curtis Samuel last season, I'm sure that nobody was more frustrated by the situation than Curtis was frustrated by the situation. I mean, no self-respecting athlete wants to be the guy who gets the big money contract and then doesn't deliver on that contract. Uh, Curtis on Friday morning on how good he feels to be back. Oh, uh, mental <laughs> mental health is, is up there. You know, it just feel good, feel excited, you know, finally be with the team, locker room, excited, you know, at the practice, you know, going back in the locker room and just share, like, practice moments with guys. So it's exciting, you know. All right. So Curtis Samuel is coming off an injury-plagued 2021 season, and so is center Chase Roulier. Uh, Roulier, in the 2021 regular season, played and started in just eight of Washington's 17 games. See, in the loss at the Denver Broncos on Halloween suffered a fractured left fibula and damage to his left ankle. Uh, the commanders last Tuesday placed Roulier on the active physically unable to perform list, but the commanders last Thursday activated Roulier off that list. Uh, he on Saturday morning did a post-practice press conference and he provided new details on his injuries and recovery. Yeah, um, so I, I had my surgery, I, I had to have plates put in for my tibula, um, and then I had to reattach some ligaments in my ankle, and then also a tightrope procedure as well. So it was pretty extensive uh, surgery, um, an injury process. But, so initially, it's really just um, <laughs> you're in a cast for a while. So there's not a lot for those first couple months, but as soon as you're out, it's just trying to build strength back. Um, building strength back in the calf and the ankle and making sure you're getting the mobility back so that, you know, when you're able to put a load on it, it's, it's not just a stiff brick. Um, and then after that, it, it turns into, um, you know, putting weight on it and starting to get back into running again and things like that. And then you progress into football things where you're, you're putting more loads on different angle positions like I do on every offense line drill, every play that I do. Um, and those, those are the things that I've worked through, and now it's just continuing on to build to more of a full speed, um, a full weight uh, drills and, and practice reps. So. All right, so quite a bit was done to the left leg of Chase Roulier. Roulier on Saturday morning on if when practicing, he still thinks about his injuries. Yes, I mean, I'm still in the rehab process, so it's not something that I've just like forgotten about. I'm, I'm still trying to work through a lot of things and trying to, you know, adjust my body to the new part of me. You know, there's there's new hardware literally in my ankle that will never feel fully the same again. So I have to then adjust a little bit and make sure I'm, I'm back to how I was before, just with a little extra hardware in the leg. So. Well, how about that from Chase Roulier? Quote, there's new hardware, literally, in my ankle that will never feel fully the same again. End quote. Well, hopefully you do not have new hardware, literally, in your ankle that will never feel fully the same again. But if you do, and that's due to the negligence of someone else, contact the law firm of Paulson and Nace. Uh, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611 and make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace can help your family make difficult decisions, and Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars 
for the second injured. Uh, I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. Chris Nace is a past president of the DC Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the DC Trial Lawyers. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. Uh, well, we just talked Chase Rullier. Uh, he, of course, is a commander's offensive lineman. Uh, the commanders on Saturday morning announced several roster transactions, including the signing of an unrestricted free agent offensive tackle, uh, Rashad Hill. He's a veteran, 22 regular season starts over the last five seasons, uh, all with the Minnesota Vikings, who signed him off the Jacksonville Jaguars practice squad in November 2016. More now from 2022 Commanders training camp from the last few days. Uh, The number one free agent signing by Washington in terms of money since Ron Rivera in January 2020 was hired as head coach for a coach-centric approach uh, is corner William Jackson III. Uh, Washington on March 19th, 2021 officially signed Jackson as an unrestricted free agent, a three-year $40.5 million contract with $26 million in total guarantees. As you probably know, uh, his first season with Washington did not go so well. Uh, Jackson was a part of a Washington pass defense that was a massive disappointment last season. There are 32 teams in the NFL. Washington finished the 2021 regular season at 28th in the NFL in pass defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Washington finished the 2021 regular season at 31st, i.e. next to last in the NFL, in lowest opponents, third down efficiency at 48.5%. And Washington, through week eight of the 2021 regular season, it was dead last in the NFL in opponents, third down efficiency at 56.5%. Yeah, Washington, in the 2021 regular season, over the team's two and six start, allowed opponents to convert on 56.5% of third downs. Uh, And keep going here. Washington finished the 2021 regular season at 29th in the NFL in lowest opposing quarterbacks combined total QBR per ESPN at 52.7. You get the idea. Washington's pass defense last season, not good. So there was all of that. And then there was what happened with William Jackson III specifically. Uh, Jackson in the 2021 regular season played in just 12 of Washington's 17 games. He was inactive for two consecutive games, weeks seven and eight due to a knee injury. He was inactive for two consecutive games, weeks 16 and 17 due to a calf injury. And then he did not play in Washington's win at the New York Giants in week 18 due to being on the reserve COVID-19 list. And when Jackson did play last season, He struggled a good bit. Now, he was better in the second half of the 2021 regular season as compared to how he played in its first half. But Jackson, for the 2021 regular season, registered an overall grade for pro football focus of just 59.3. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. 
Uh, Jackson last season had a penalty problem. Uh, Jackson in the 2021 regular season committed a team worst eight total penalties, seven of which were accepted. Five of his eight total penalties were defensive pass interference penalties. But as we have come to know, not all of this was on William Jackson the third. Uh, he had been a good corner for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, they took him with the number 24 pick in the 2016 NFL Draft out of Houston. Uh, for Pro Football Focus, there were 95 corners who each played at least 1,000 regular season coverage snaps from the 2017 season through the 2020 season. Jackson's 82.4 coverage grade during that span was number 17 among the coverage grades for those 95 corners. Uh, number 17. I mean, that's pretty good. And by the way, Kendall Fuller's coverage grade of 82.2 during that span was number 18. Uh, anyway, Jackson did what he did with the Bengals while primarily playing man coverage. He last season was asked to play a lot of zone coverage, including doing a good bit of what's called passing off coverage. Uh, well, this ended up being a square peg in round hole situation. Washington gave a three-year $40.5 million contract with $26 million in total guarantees to Jackson for the work that he did with the Bengals playing a certain way, and then asked him to play a different way. And to me, few things for Washington during the team's 2022 offseason were more telling than Jackson at his season-ending Zoom press conference this past January 10th, saying that he in the 2021 season had been, quote, doing things that I had never done before, end quote. Washington gave a three-year $40.5 million contract with $26 million in total guarantees to Jackson for the work that he did with the Bengals playing a certain way and then asked him to do things that he had never done before. Uh, okay, well, things now do appear to be much better. Uh, like I said, William Jackson III did play better as last season went on. He, on Saturday morning at Commander's Training Camp, did a post-practice press conference. Here was Jackson on where he's at now. I'm just having fun and it's showing on the field. You know, I'm not thinking as much. I know exactly what I'm doing now. So it just, I'm just having fun and it's showing. All right, good to hear that. William Jackson III on Saturday morning on what he has learned about the commander's defense. I mean, it's a lot of things standing out, like rock concepts and all those type of things. So it just became slow to me as I had OTAs. I didn't have OTAs last year, so now that I have one, it's clearly showing on the field that I know exactly what I'm doing. So you heard William Jackson the third right there say that last year things came slowly to him and that he didn't have OTAs. Uh, remember, defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio in May in an in-house interview for the commanders expressed anger over some defensive backs having no-showed some of the offseason work from the 2021 offseason. Perhaps William Jackson III was among those who Jack was talking about. How about this, though, from Jackson on Saturday morning? He said that the defense has been simplified. Uh, Commander's defensive backs coach Chris Harris has talked about the defense having been revamped to a degree. Uh, Jackson got asked what Harris meant by that. Here was Jackson's response. Uh, just not as a, it's not much thinking. You know, they narrowed it down. Everybody can play fast and just know exactly what they're doing. It's real simplified and it's showing on the field that everybody knows exactly what they're doing or what it be. Yeah, make no mistake, Washington's pass defense being so bad in the 2021 season, it was a function of a variety of things. Uh, the quarterbacks who Washington faced, right, a murderer's row of quarterbacks. Uh, Washington's defensive backs not playing well enough. And also Washington's defensive coaches not doing 
a good enough job, including Jack Del Rio. Now, I like Jack as a defensive coordinator. His resume is impressive, more impressive than some people like to admit, but he did not have a good season last season. And that the defense has been modified to a degree tells you that Jack now realizes that he did do some things wrong last season. And you know what? Good for Jack for recognizing that. The commander's pass defense for this coming season almost certainly will be better than the team's pass defense last season. The schedule of opposing quarterbacks appears to be much easier. And the defense has a lot of returning players with a scheme that should better suit those players. And so hopefully we this coming season will see the William Jackson III, who we thought that Washington was getting when it signed him in March 2021. Up next, perhaps the last true Redskin. Ryan Kerrigan has retired. I will pay proper homage to one of the best pass rushers and people in team history straight ahead. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As we all know, the last 29 seasons for the NFL team, now known as the Commanders, have not gone so well. Uh, The glory days of the Redskins during Joe Gibbs' first stand as head coach were 1981 through 1992. Since the start of the 1993 season, things have not gone well for our team for a variety of reasons. And so since the start of the 1993 season, there have been very few true all-time greats to have established themselves with the team. 1981 through 1992 was filled with players who became all-time greats for the team. 1993 through 2021, not so much. Uh, However, one of those players was edge defender Ryan Kerrigan, and he now has retired. Uh, We on Friday learned that Kerrigan was retiring. The commanders on Friday signed Kerrigan to a ceremonial contract so that he could retire as 
a Washington player. And sure enough, the commanders on Saturday morning announced having placed Kerrigan on the reserve retired list. Uh, All of this was really well done by the commanders. They handled this Ryan Kerrigan retirement with a lot of class. The team tweeted out video of Kerrigan on Friday arriving at the team facility and being met with a standing ovation from players and coaches. Uh, This was a really cool scene. Kerrigan walking into the building with his wife and three daughters and being surprised by the standing ovation. And then on Saturday morning, Kerrigan did a press conference and was at Commander's training camp practice, after which he spoke to the team and actually broke down the huddle. Uh, Really good stuff. In fact, here was Kerrigan on Saturday morning on the reception that he got when he walked into the team facility on Friday. That was uh, that was really cool what they uh, Coach Rivera and them did yesterday. You know, coming out, you know, applauding me when I walked in. It was it was way more than I thought it would be. I kind of thought I was just going to come in, sign a couple pieces of paper, take a you know do you know do a couple interviews and be on my way. But you know, I, I they really just made me feel so welcome. They you know to see all my D line guys standing there and and you know applauding me when I walked in. It uh, it meant a lot, and it was really you know like I was at a loss for words. I mean, I kind of looked at my wife. I'm like, I'm like, damn, what do, what do I do now? Like, I'm like, like everyone's here, and it was uh, so it was it was cool. It was a really special moment. Yeah, Washington has butchered a lot, and I mean a lot of things over the last twelve months. But let's give credit where credit is due. The team did a really nice job with the Ryan Kerrigan retirement. Ryan Kerrigan, as a player to me, was a pillar of three things, production, durability, and class. Uh, There haven't been many Redskins slash Washington football team players for whom you can say that over the last 29 seasons, but Kerrigan was one of those players. Uh, Kerrigan is one of the best pass rushers in Washington history. Kerrigan in the 2020 season became Washington's all-time leader in regular season sacks. He, over his 10 seasons with Washington, 2011 through 2020, had 95 and a half sacks over 156 career regular season games. Uh, Kerrigan is not the best pass rusher in Washington history. Uh, That honor belongs to Dexter Manley. Dexter, as a Redskins edge defender, officially had 91 sacks, but he played for the Skins from 1981 through 1989. Sacks did not become an official statistic until 1982. Dexter from 1982 through 1989 had 91 sacks over 109 regular season games. That works out to 0.835 sacks per regular season game. Kerrigan with Washington averaged 0.612 sacks per regular season game. So Dexter Manley is the best pass rusher in franchise history. But Ryan Kerrigan was a very productive player for Washington. Uh, Kerrigan, over his 10 seasons with Washington, had the franchise record 95 and a half career regular season sacks. Kerrigan, over his 10 seasons with Washington, had four regular seasons, each with at least 11 sacks. Kerrigan, over his 10 seasons with Washington, set new career franchise records for regular season force fumbles at 26, regular season quarterback hits at 147, and regular season tackles for loss at 119. Now, force fumbles and tackles for loss only go back to 1999. Quarterback hits only go back to 2006. But still, you get the idea. Ryan Kerrigan was a very productive player. Uh, Now, was Kerrigan like a havoc-wreaking edge defender who caused opposing offensive coordinators to lose sleep? Maybe not. Dexter Manley was that type of edge defender. Kerrigan 
to me, not so much. Uh, was Kerrigan guilty at times of being too disciplined and not being enough of a football player and playmaker? Probably. You know, that was a criticism of Kerrigan. He certainly could disappear for stretches, and he did have problems against the run. He was not a perfect player, but even with all of that having been the case, Kerrigan for Washington produced a lot. Uh, then there was his durability. Uh, Ryan Kerrigan was incredibly durable. Kerrigan in the 2019 season was placed on the reserve injured list on December 13th, 2019, my birthday, uh, due to a calf injury that he suffered in a loss at the Green Bay Packers in week 14. Kerrigan in that game returned from a one-game absence caused by a concussion that he suffered in a win over the Detroit Lions at FedEx Field in week 12. That one-game absence snapped streaks of 139 consecutive regular season games and 139 consecutive regular season starts to begin his career. And what is still amazing to me is that Kerrigan got hurt in his return as he suffered that calf injury on the opening drive of the second half. It is amazing how that played out. He finally misses a game, and then in his return game, he gets hurt again. Uh, but Kerrigan was an Ironman for the Redskins, and a lot of that had to do with his tremendous work ethic. Uh, Ryan Kerrigan trained like a madman. He ate clean. He took care of his body. Uh, here was Kerrigan on Saturday morning on his work ethic. I, I noticed that the better I felt I, play, I played in the previous season, I felt like that would like push me harder the next offseason, like, kind of like the reverse of what you would think. Like You'd kind of think like if you played well, I'd be like, oh, I'm taking an extra week or day off here. And For me, it was like the better I played, the harder I worked because I saw the hard work paying off. And so I was like, okay, well, if, if that worked, I'm going to double down on that and try to get even more out of it. And I think that, that mentality served me well. Yeah, great message right there from Ryan Kerrigan. But maybe the most likable characteristic of Ryan Kerrigan as a player was him being zero drama and all class. Uh, Ryan Kerrigan, of course, was a part of Washington during an incredibly tumultuous time. I mean, you think about his decade with the team, 2011 through 2020. Think about everything that happened with the team, 2011 through 2020. Washington from 2011 through 2020 had seven losing regular seasons in 10 years, including four double-digit loss seasons, and had countless controversies, problems, and sagas. You know, Robert Griffin III versus the Shanahans, the Kirk Cousins cha-cha-cha, uh, the firings of Mike Shanahan, Scott McLuhan, Jay Gruden, and Bruce Allen, the Trent Williams holdout, uh, secondaries that had all kinds of communication and cohesion issues, interior defensive line and linebacking units that weren't very good, etc. And yet Kerrigan, through all of these things and so many other things, never publicly complained, never made waves, never did anything other than work hard. Could you imagine Kerrigan pulling a stunt like Trent Williams did with his holdout of 2019? Never, right? I mean, did Kerrigan ever whine about being underpaid or wanting more guaranteed money? Never. Uh, now, things did not go so well for Ryan Kerrigan over the last two seasons. Uh, Kerrigan in the 2020 regular season played in all 16 of Washington's games, but he made just one start, played on just 37.99% 
of Washington's defensive snaps. Uh, then backup safety, Troy Apke in the 2020 regular season played on more defensive snaps for Washington than Kerrigan did. Uh, but Kerrigan was relatively productive. Uh, he in the 2020 regular season had five and a half sacks and for sport radar generated 13 pressures. But Washington in the 2021 offseason had no interest in re-signing Kerrigan as an unrestricted free agent. Uh, he admitted that he was told by Washington at the start of free agency in the 2021 offseason that the team was not going to try to re-sign him. And so Kerrigan on May 17th, 2021, signed a one-year contract with the Philadelphia Eagles. Yes, the dreaded Eagles. Uh, Kerrigan in the 2021 season did nothing for the Eagles until the postseason. This was kind of odd. Uh, so Kerrigan in the 2021 regular season played in 16 of the Eagles 17 games, but with just two starts. He in the 2021 regular season played on just 29.31% of the Eagles defensive snaps, and he totaled no sacks, just two quarterback hits, just one tackle for loss, and just three total tackles. However, Kerrigan in the Eagles playoff game, 31-15 loss at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the wild card round this past January 16th, actually had one and a half sacks and three total tackles. Uh, so there was that. Ryan Kerrigan on Saturday morning on how hard the decision to retire was for him. Very. It, uh, even though I know it's the right decision, ultimately, it's still not easy to to know that I'm not going to play football anymore. Like I kind of had that realization the other night, you know, before, you know, I think that would be Thursday night, I guess. I was like, man, like I was talking to my wife, like, damn, I'm not going to play football anymore. That's kind of crazy. Been doing it for so long, but I know, uh, I just know where I'm at, you know, health wise and whatnot, that this is, uh, you know, it's the best thing for me moving forward. And as you're about to hear, Ryan Kerrigan decided a while ago that the 2021 season was likely to be his last season. This was Kerrigan on Saturday morning on when he arrived at the decision to retire. So I actually came to that decision in the off season of 21. So like spring of 21 going into, so going into last season when I was a free agent, um, got a, got a not so good medical report, you know, from a couple different doctors, um, about my knee. And, um, but at that time, and actually was kind of encouraged to not not play the 21 season, but I, was, I wasn't I was um, emotionally ready to not play football anymore at that point. So I kind of, I was like, you know, I'm still going to play. I still think I can. And so that was the plan all along. Um, but then um, play, have a good playoff game to finish out last season. That kind of made me feel like, oh, you know, maybe I can still do this and whatnot. And then as I got into training again this past, uh, this summer, like kind of late in June, knee really started bothering me again and I just was like you know what like you gotta you gotta you got a long long life to live lord willing and uh gotta gotta not play anymore so I kind of so I kind of came to it late June yeah you know it is unfortunate that Ryan Kerrigan did not end up spending his entire NFL career with Washington and that his lone NFL season not with Washington it was with the Eagles uh but there are plenty of all-time Redskins greats who did not play their entire NFL careers with the Skins. It would be nice if every Redskins all-time great never played for another team, but that just isn't the case. Uh, you know, the aforementioned Dexter Manley, he played for the Redskins 
from 1981 through 1989 and then played for the Phoenix Cardinals in 1990 and for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 1991. Uh, another all-time great edge defender for the franchise, Charles Mann. He played for the Redskins from 1983 through 1993 and then for the San Francisco 49ers in 1994. Uh, maybe the best receiver in franchise history, Art Monk. He played for the Redskins from 1980 through 1993 and then for the New York Jets in 1994 and for the Philadelphia Eagles in 1995. Uh, another all-time great receiver for the franchise, Gary Clark. He played for the Redskins from 1985 through 1992 and then for the Phoenix slash Arizona Cardinals in 1993 and 1994 and for the Miami Dolphins in 1995. Uh, running back and returner, Brian Mitchell played for the Redskins from 1990 through 1999, and then for the Philadelphia Eagles from 2000 through 2002, and then for the New York Giants in 2003. Uh, one of the great hogs, offensive lineman Mark May. He played for the Redskins from 1981 through 1989, and then for the San Diego Chargers in 1990, and for the Phoenix Cardinals in 1992 and 1993. Uh, some players of more recent team history. Tied in Jordan Reed. He was with the Redskins from 2013 through 2019, then played for the San Francisco 49ers in 2020. Uh, left tackle Trent Williams. He was with the Redskins from 2010 through 2019, then was traded to the San Francisco 49ers in April 2020. So yeah, I mean, a lot of all-time greats for the franchise have ended up playing for teams other than Washington. The Washington all-time greats who only played for the Redskins include corner Daryl Green, Offensive tackle Joe Jacoby, uh, guard Russ Grimm, center Jeff Bostic, linebacker Chris Hanberger. So, okay, Ryan Kerrigan is not on that list, but I don't think that him having played for the Eagles for one season in any way takes away from Kerrigan's legacy with Washington. Uh, Ryan Kerrigan on Saturday morning on his favorite memories from his time as a player with Washington. Um, a lot of, you know, fun game memories like... You know, when we beat Dallas in 12 to win the division here um, in 18 when we beat Dallas at home and I got the forced fumble and Preston Smith picked it up for a touchdown. Um, getting a pick six uh, my first game, that was awesome. But when I come, it's when I come back here to Redskins Park that I really am like, like that's why I've like loved this place because it's all the relationships you build over the years you, with teammates, you know, coaches, the people in the kitchen, the strength staff, you guys. I mean, I've developed a lot of great relationships with you guys, and you know, I've got to you know know you, know you guys a little bit outside of um, of your jobs here, and um, so it's it's those that that have made it uh, that really have made this uh, such a special thing, and and a big reason why it's hard, why while even that it's it's hard to walk away, even though I know it's the right thing. All right. And what now for Ryan Kerrigan? Uh, Kerrigan on Saturday morning on what's next for him now that he's retired. I mean, I'm just, I, I think more than anything, I'm, I feel a sense of relief, like knowing that like it's July and it's Saturday morning. I don't got to go hit anybody. I don't, I don't got, you know, Morgan Moses staring at me, getting ready to try to take my head off. That's, uh, that's pretty nice. But um, I think, you know, I'm just excited to, you know, I want to say in football, so I'm excited to find out, you know, where, you know, where football is going to take me next. I, 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 coaching is something I want to want to explore because I just feel like I love the environment too much. I love the football, you know, building environment. I love, 
uh, being around the guys, you know, too much. And I love, I, I love being able to impart, you know, some of the things I've learned over the past 11 years on, on people. And that's one of the, been one of the cooler things the past two years is that being elder statesmen, you know, you guys, guys, you know, want to learn. They want, they come up, they're like, Hey, you know, what's, what do you see here? What do you see here? What do you do to you know help you with this? And it's been cool to be able to pass that on to guys. And so that's, that's something I want to explore further. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, I want to stay in football in some capacity. I think coaching would be a good route. Yeah, all the best to Ryan Kerrigan in his retirement. Uh, he's only 33, so he should have plenty of opportunities. But a salute to one of the great players and people in the history of the franchise, Ryan Kerrigan. Well, the month of July uh, now has been a nightmare for the Nationals in each of the last two seasons. Uh, it was in July 2021 that the Nats completely fell apart in a multitude of ways and ended up engineering one of the great fire sales in recent MLB history, the trading away of eight players for 12 prospects. And in the just concluded month of July 2022, we now can say that the Nats went 6-19 and 19, uh, in addition to learning that star right fielder Juan Soto uh, was on the trading block. Uh, the Nats over the weekend lost two or three games to the St. Louis Cardinals at Nationals Park. Friday night, a 6-2 loss. Saturday night, a 7-6 win in what was actually one of the more exciting games that the Nats have played this season. But Sunday afternoon, a 5-0 loss. A very fitting ending to a very bad month for the Nats. So the Nats ended up going 6-19 and in the month of July. Uh, the Nats now for the 2022 regular season are a major league worst 35-68 and with a major league worst run differential of minus 168. And now all eyes are on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, that is the 2022 MLB trade deadline. It is by then that the Nats must trade Juan Soto if, in fact, they are going to trade Juan Soto this season. My stance is simple. The Nats don't have to trade Soto. Not right now. Uh, unless they are absolutely, unequivocally convinced that there's no chance that he'll ever sign a contract extension, no matter who the owner of the Nats is. And the Nats get a great offer that can replenish their farm system with a variety of of high-level prospects. Otherwise, assuming that the Nats want to keep Soto, the play to me should be for the sale of the team to be completed this offseason. Let new ownership take a crack at trying to sign Soto to a contract extension and then reevaluate where you're at with Soto. I don't really get why the Nats feel this extreme need right now to trade Juan Soto. I am all for teams being aggressive and forward-thinking and proactive, but the Nats trading Soto right now feels too aggressive, again, unless they know things that we do not about Soto's signability. Again, if the Nats are absolutely unequivocally convinced that there's no chance that he'll ever sign a contract extension, no matter who the owner of the Nats is, okay, but how exactly could you be absolutely and unequivocally convinced of that when even you do not know who the next owner of the Nats is going to be? Uh, but yeah, uh, this just concluded series against the Cardinals may well have been Juan Soto's last full series as a Nat. I mean, think about that. Uh, we, over the course of the three days of the series, had multiple items regarding uh, the Nats potentially trading Juan Soto prior to that MLB trade deadline. 
on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, one of the more interesting items was this. Washington Post columnist Barry's Verluga in a tweet on Friday afternoon said regarding the Nats potentially negotiating a contract extension with Juan Soto prior to the MLB trade deadline of Soto having turned down a 15-year, $440 million contract extension offer from the Nats. Quote, my understanding is that the Nationals are not making a new offer to Juan Soto. If they get the right deal, they'll make it. If they don't, they won't. End quote. And my reaction to that was, well, what about new ownership? If the learners are in fact selling the Nats and the sale of the team is going to be completed by November, as has been suggested by Barry's Verluga himself, well, uh, why not let new ownership take a crack at trying to sign Soto to a contract extension? That 15-year, $440 million contract extension offer was a below-market-value offer. Who's to say that the next owner of the Nats won't make Soto a proper market-value offer? And if so, who's to say that Soto won't accept that? Now, again, maybe Soto is unsignable, but are you sure about that? Uh, We can't be. Not right now. Maybe the Nats know things that we do not. Uh, Also, over the last few days, uh, MLB insider Ken Rosenthal of Fox Sports and The Athletic. Uh, He, on Saturday afternoon on FS1's MLB pregame show, said that the San Diego Padres and the St. Louis Cardinals, the very team that the Nats were facing, uh, were, quote, the perceived frontrunners, end quote, to trade for Soto. And Soto, in a pregame interview with Ken Rosenthal on FS1, said regarding staying with the Nats, quote, I would love to stay here. I would be more than glad. But at the end of the day, I don't make decisions. And quote, what was also notable about that interview was that Soto emphasized being, quote, a winning player, end quote, and that he, quote, would love to win. And I just want to see the chance that where we can win and how we can win, end quote. Uh, Well, uh, the Nats right now are not close to being a winning team. And that and the Nats' ownership uncertainty, major impediments to the team signing Soto to a contract extension. Uh, Soto in the series against the Cardinals at Nationals Park over the weekend was the Nats' starting right fielder and number three batter in all three games. He, over the three games, went two for eight with two singles and four walks. Uh, Soto for the 2022 regular season is number one in the majors by miles in walks at 88. He, on Sunday afternoon, though, did have another bad defensive moment. Juan Soto is not having a good defensive season, and Soto on Sunday afternoon in the Cardinals' one-run third, way too slow, uh, to a Corey Dickerson fly ball that landed right in front of Soto on the dirt near the right field line uh, for a leadoff double. Uh, Juan Soto entered Sunday with minus four defensive runs saved in right field in the 2022 regular season. So he has not been good defensively this season. He has not been good on the base paths this season, but he is, of course, an excellent batter. Uh, Juan Soto is far from the only Nat who could be traded by Tuesday's MLB trade deadline. Uh, First baseman Josh Bell, D.H. Nelson Cruz, relievers Kyle Finnegan, Carl Edwards, Jr. and Steve Ciszek and others all could be gone by Tuesday's MLB trade deadline. Uh, Bell and Cruz are slam dunks to be gone. Josh Bell in the series against the Cardinals at Nationals Park over the weekend was the Nats starting first baseman at number four batter in all three games. He on Friday night went two for two with two singles, a walk, and an RBI sack fly. He on Saturday night went one for four with a three-run homer. Uh, Now, he did strike out twice and did leave five men on base, but the three-run homer was a big homer. Uh, Bell in the Nats, three-run seventh, a three-run opposite field home run to right center field 
for a 7-5 Nats lead. The homer went a projected 404 feet per stat cast. And Bell, in the top of the second, had a very nice defensive play, did a tremendous job of keeping his right foot on the first base bag for the put out for the third out in catching an errant throw from third baseman Michael Franco off a grounder off the bat of Paul DeYoung. Uh, Josh Bell on Sunday afternoon, 0 for 4 with a strikeout, left three men on base. But still, Josh Bell having a very nice season. He, for the 2022 regular season, has an OPS of 878. Uh, that is the same as Juan Soto's OPS, if you could believe that. Uh, Nelson Cruz has not had a good season. Uh, he, in fact, has had a terrible season. He has been a big disappointment for the Nats, if we're being honest about things. But uh, Cruz did have some hits over the weekend. Uh, Cruz was the Nats starting DH and number five batter in all three games in the series. He had a hit in each game, including a big hit in the win on Saturday night. Cruz in the Nats' three-run fifth, a two-out, two-run opposite field double off the right field warning track on a 1-2 pitch to cut the Nats' deficit to 4-3. This was just Nelson Cruz's third extra base hit since he last homered, and he last homered on June 25th. Yeah, Nelson Cruz has not hit a home run since June 25th, and he has just three extra base hits since then. Uh, Each hit is a double. Uh, Cruz's OPS for the 2022 regular season, a paltry 663. Uh, It is possible that the Nats by Tuesday's MLB trade deadline could trade some of their older position players, uh, guys like left fielder Yadiel Hernandez and second baseman Cesar Hernandez and third baseman Michael Franco, but I don't think that anybody is holding his or her breath on that. Uh, Heck, Franco lately has been taking a backseat to A. Ray Adrianza as the Nats' starting third baseman. Adrianza over the weekend was the Nats' starting third baseman in two of the three games. Who knows? Maybe A. Ray Adrianza is about to be flipped here. Uh, Yadiel over the weekend was the Nats' starting left fielder and number six batter in all three games. He in each game had a single, including a big single in that win on Saturday night. Yadiel in the Nats' three-run fifth, a two-out RBI single up the middle on an 0-2 pitch to tie the game at four. Also on Saturday night was an eventful game for Victor Robles. Uh, he was an at starting center fielder and number one batter in games one and two in the series. Did not play in game three. Robles on Saturday night, one for five, but the one was a home run, uh, a solo homer. Uh, he also had an eventful night in the field and he eventually left the game due to his left hamstring cramping up. Uh, But Robles in the Nats, one run third, a one-out solo homer to left field into the Cardinals' bullpen on a 1-2 pitch to tie the game at one. Uh, The homer was Robles' third homer in nine games. Uh, We are seeing a bit of a power surge here from Victor Robles off his power, like having been zapped over the last few years. Uh, Robles in the 2022 regular season only has four home runs, but like I said, uh, he now has three home runs over the last nine games. He has nine regular season home runs since the start of the 2020 regular season. That's it. But remember, Robles in the 2019 regular season did hit 17 home runs. Uh, Also for Victor Robles on Saturday night, really nice defensive play. Top of the seventh, a running, lunging, and backhanded falling down catch of a Dylan Carlson liner in left center field for the second out. Uh, but Robles in the Cardinals, one run eighth, uh, did make a bad decision in throwing home on a Paul DeYoung one-out RBI sack fly that cut the Nats' lead to 7-6. Uh, Robles throwing home allowed for both trailing runners to advance, gave the Cardinals runners on second and third with two outs and 
what had become a one-run game. Uh, Also for the Nats over the weekend, bad starting pitching and a starting pitcher being placed on the 15-day injured list. And let's actually start with that. Eric Fetty was supposed to start game two of the series, but the Nats on Saturday afternoon placed Fetty on the 15-day injured list, retroactive to July 27th with right shoulder inflammation and recalled pitcher Corey Abbott from AAA Rochester. So let's think about this. Eric Fetty, a part of the Nats rotation, is out, and the Nats recalled pitcher Corey Abbott from AAA Rochester. Uh, And yes, I said Corey Abbott and not Cade Cavalli. The Nats continue to keep their number one prospect, who is a starting pitcher at AAA Rochester. Uh, The Nats took Cavalli with the number 22 pick in the 2020 MLB draft out of the University of Oklahoma. Uh, MLB Pipeline ranks Cavalli as the number 44 prospect in baseball. Uh, The Nats starting pitching has been awful. Uh, The Nats are a rebuilding team, and yet Cade Cavalli remains at the AAA level. Uh, I have two distinct reactions to this. Uh, My first reaction is that I actually respect the heck out of the Nats continuing to keep Cade Cavalli at AAA. Uh, The Nats clearly are not letting their mess at the major league level dictate what they do with Cavalli at the minor league level. And that takes a good bit of discipline and conviction and commitment. You know, the development of Cade Cavalli matters a ton, especially for the Nats who for way too long have been way too bad at drafting and developing players. So props to Nats president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo for sticking to his process with Cade Cavalli. Now, the process uh, better be good, okay? (laughs) The process better work, but to me, uh, there's a lot to be said for the Nats sticking to their guns with Cavalli. However, my second reaction to the Nats keeping Cavalli at the AAA level is, uh, well, this is an indictment of where Cavalli is at in his development. Now, that doesn't mean that he's a lost cause or anything like that. But, you know, going into this season, the widespread belief was that the Nats would be calling up Cade Cavalli to the majors sooner rather than later, like as in April or May. Uh, well, we're now in August. The Nats just had another prime opportunity to call up Cavalli, and they instead called up Corey Abbott for like the 72nd time this season. Uh, Actually the fourth, but you get the idea. Now, Kate Cavalli has had a very uneven season for AAA Rochester. He lately has been good, but he overall has not been great. And so if you're a Nats fan, I don't know how you're not at least a little concerned about where we are with Cavalli. It's not panic time, okay? But you're being naive if you're not wondering uh, why is a guy who was supposed to have been called up months ago and who has been healthy instead remaining at AAA. Uh, Speaking of young starting pitchers whose development matters a lot for the Nats, uh, Josiah Gray, he struggled on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Sunday was July 31st, the one-year anniversary of the trade that brought Gray to the Nats. Uh, The Nats acquired Gray and catcher Bear Ruiz from the Los Angeles Dodgers as the headline prospects in a crop of four prospects for starting pitcher Max Scherzer and Trey Turner in a trade that was finalized on July 31st, 2021. Uh, well, Gray in the Nats' 5-0 loss to the Cardinals at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon, four runs in five innings. Uh, he gave up five hits, a homer, two doubles, and two singles. He issued two walks, a hit-by-pitch, and a wild pitch. He did record six strikeouts, but Josiah Gray, over his five innings, threw 95 pitches, and he threw a lot of balls, just 52 strikes 
versus 43 bulls. How about what happened with Josiah Gray in the top of the fourth? He issued back-to-back, one-out, four-pitch walks of Nolan Gorman and Lars Nootbaar. I mean, that's rare. Back-to-back, four-pitch walks. And then Gray gave up a two-out, three-run homer to Corey Dickerson to the second deck in right field for a 4-0 Cardinals lead. Josiah Gray this season has had some mechanical issues. Those issues on Sunday afternoon again popped up. Here were the key exchanges with Nats manager Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon on Josiah Gray. When he's ahead, I think he was hit eight times today. Nobody got on base. When he falls behind, um, he had a bunch of traffic. So, um, you know, today was, you know, I think it's almost 50-50 on balls and strikes. So um, he's got he's to be aggressive in the strike zone, uh, get early contacts like we talk about. Um, but really, really, he's got to really focus on getting ahead of hitters. Did you threw eight straight balls Yeah, he was just, he got a little quick. He got, you know, and, and like I said, we always talk about, it's about his front side, opening up. Um, you know, and that causes all the misses. I mean, um, the, the ball he hit Arenado with, he was going down and away, you know, and the ball ran that far uh, inside. So, I mean, you know, so we'll got to get him back. We'll get him back. Um, I think he's going to work on him with some things in his next bullpen and uh, get him back on track. What can Josiah do to improve against left-handed hitters? He just got to, like I said, he's got to get, he's got to get comfortable throwing the ball glove side. You know, he's got to use both sides of the plate, um, and we, we got to get him there. So, um, you know, sometimes he's, like I said, he's really good, and when he gets ahead of hitters, he's really good. I mean, like I said, he was ahead of eight guys today. Nobody got on base, so uh, we got to focus on that. So Josiah Gray now in the 2022 regular season, 19 starts, ERA of 459. Uh, now he does have a good strikeouts per nine innings, 10.41, but He also has allowed a major league worst 24 home runs. Yeah, no pitcher in the majors has allowed more home runs than Josiah Gray has allowed. He very much has a home run problem. Uh, Josiah Gray, in fact, has allowed 43 home runs in 172 and two-thirds major league innings over the 2021 and 2022 regular seasons. That is a sky-high total of home runs to have allowed in 172 and two-thirds innings, 43 home runs. Uh, The Nats' other two starting pitchers in the series were Anibal Sanchez and Paolo Espino. Uh, Sanchez in the 6-2 loss to the Cardinals at Nationals Park on Friday night, six runs in five and two-thirds innings. Uh, He gave up six hits, two homers, and four singles, issued two walks and a wild pitch, recorded four strikeouts. He over his five and two-thirds innings threw 108 pitches, 66 strikes, versus 42 balls. Anibal Sanchez now over three major league starts in the 2022 regular season has allowed 13 runs in 15 and two-thirds innings. Uh, This is his age 38 season. He did not pitch at all in the majors in the 2021 regular season that he is starting games for the Nats right now is such an indictment of their organizational pitching depth. Uh, And then Paolo Espino and the 7-6 win over the Cardinals at Nationals Park on Saturday night, starting on short notice, allowed four runs in four and two-thirds innings. Gave up seven hits, two homers, a double, and four singles. Issued a walk, recorded just two strikeouts. He threw 70 pitches, 42 strikes, versus 28 balls. Uh, Now, Paolo allowed just one run through four innings, but he, in the top of the fifth, allowed three runs on a homer, three singles, 
and an RBI sack fly. A bright spot for the Nats over the weekend continued to be their bullpen, uh, which has been quite good lately. Uh, the 6-2 loss to the Cardinals at Nationals Park on Friday night, three Nats relievers combined for three and a third perfect innings with six strikeouts. Uh, Jordan Weems won in a third perfect innings. Victor Arano tossed a perfect top of the eighth with two strikeouts. And Hunter Harvey, a perfect top of the ninth with three strikeouts on just 12 pitches as he wasn't far from having an immaculate inning. Uh, The 7-6 win over the Cardinals at Nationals Park on Saturday night, five Nats relievers combined to allow two runs in four into third innings. Andres Machado was charged with one run and got just one out. But Hunter Harvey came into the game top of the six. Runners on first and third, no outs, and the game tied at four. He induced an RBI sack fly off the bat of Lars Nootbaar for a 5-4 Cardinals lead, but then recorded back-to-back strikeouts of Paul DeYoung and Andrew Kisner. And Harvey's four-seam fastball velocity when facing Kisner peaked at 98.6 miles per hour per stat cast. Hunter Harvey has been looking really good. Uh, Erasmo Ramirez on Saturday night, perfect top of the seventh. Uh, Carl Edwards Jr. in the top of the eighth was charged with a run and recorded just one out. He faced four batters, got just one out. But then came Kyle Finnegan into the game. Kyle Finnegan tossed one and two-thirds perfect innings for an excellent five-out save. He came into the game in the top of the eighth with the bases loaded, one out, and the Nats leading 7-5. Finnegan induced a one-out RBI sack fly off the bat of Paul DeYoung to cut the Nats' lead to 7-6. Then Finnegan got pinch hitter Brendan Donovan to fly out for the third out, and then Finnegan tossed a perfect top of the ninth. And then in the 5-0 loss to the Cardinals at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon, three Nats relievers combined to allow one run in four innings. Uh, Jordan Weems, one run in two innings, but Steve Ciszek, scoreless top of the eighth with two strikeouts. Corey Abbott, scoreless top of the ninth with two strikeouts. Uh, The Nats bullpen has done a good job lately. Next up for the Nats is a three-game series against the National League East leading New York Mets at Nationals Park. Game one Monday night at 7.05, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two Tuesday night at 7.05, Corey Abbott will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three Wednesday afternoon at 4.05, Anibal Sanchez will be the Nats starting pitcher. But of course, nothing matters more for the Nats right now than the MLB trade deadline on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. All right, so the 2022 MLB trade deadline on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern is looming large for the Nationals. Also is looming large For the Orioles, uh, a lot of trade possibilities with the O's given that they, yes, remain a rebuilding team, but also, yes, are having an encouraging season and are in postseason contention. Now, the Orioles' weekend did not go so well. Uh, They lost two or three games at the Cincinnati Reds. Friday night, a 6-2 win, but Saturday night, an 8-2 loss. Sunday afternoon, a 3-2 loss. So the O's for the 2022 regular season now are 51 and 51. Uh, they are three games behind the Tampa Bay Rays for the American League's third wild card spot. How about this? The O's now have lost back-to-back games for the first time since a four-game losing streak, June 28th through July 2nd. That's how good the Orioles' July was. This is the first time that they have a losing streak in nearly a month. Uh, not a very good series for the O's offensively at the Reds, but a monster series 
For Anthony Santander, uh, who ended up having a great July, Santander on Friday night as the Orioles starting right fielder and number four batter, three for four with a two-run homer and two singles. Uh, He and the Orioles, two-run sixth, smashed a one-out full count, two-run homer to left field to tie the game at two despite having been down to the count at 1.12. Santander on Saturday night as the Orioles starting right fielder and number four batter, one for four with an RBI single, and he added outfield assist. Uh, Santander in the Orioles, a two-run first, a one-out RBI single to right field on an 0-2 pitch for a one nothing Orioles lead. The O's in this game led 2 nothing after one inning. They came into the game having been outscored in the first innings of games in the 2022 regular season. 57-24. If you are an O's fan, seeing them establish a first inning lead on Saturday night was like seeing Bigfoot. You're like, wow, I've heard of this maybe possibly being a thing, but I can't believe that I'm actually seeing this thing right before my eyes. And also for Anthony Santander on Saturday night, the outfield assist, a bottom of the second throughout Jake Fraley at home for the third out of a one-out flyout to Santander by Jonathan India. Uh, Also, credit to catcher Adley Rutschman. He made a nice backhanded pick of a one-hop throw by Santander and then turned and stretched to tag Fraley for the out. Uh, Rutschman on Saturday night as the Orioles' number two batter in the game went two for four with two singles. And then Anthony Santander on Sunday afternoon as the Orioles' starting left fielder and number three batter three for four with a solo homer and two singles. Uh, He and the Orioles, one run eighth, hit a one out solo homer to right center field to tie the game at two. The homer went a projected 420 feet per stat cast with Santander's team leading 19th homer in the 2022 regular season. Anthony Santander in this series at the Reds, seven for 12 with two home runs and five singles. He can do this. Uh, He's not the most consistent batter. Like, he can go ice cold, but he can also get white hot. And Santander, for the month of July, ended up posting the following slash line. Check this out. Batting average of 316, on base percentage of 369, slugging percentage of 547. Uh, Also, on Sunday afternoon for the Orioles' offense, we had Trey Mancini as the Orioles' starting right fielder and leadoff batter. Uh, That was something different. He went 0-5 for uh, with two strikeouts, but Mancini did deliver in the 6-2 win on Friday night. He was the Orioles' starting DH and number three batter, 1-2 for with an RBI single and three walks. Uh, Mancini on Friday night in the Orioles' four-run ninth, as yes, we had more Orioles magic on Friday night. Uh, A one-out RBI infield single for a 5-2 Orioles lead. Uh, The infield single was deflected by Reds reliever Buck Farmer and then went off the second base bag. So some puck luck for Trey Mancini. Uh, Also coming through on Friday night was Cedric Mullins. Uh, He is the Orioles starting center fielder and number one batter. Went just one for five, but the one was a big two-run single and he had a stolen base. Uh, Mullins in that Orioles four-run ninth, a one-out first pitch, tie-breaking two-run single up the middle for a 4-2 Orioles lead, and he in the 4-1-9 had a stolen base. Uh, I've talked a lot about how great the Orioles' bullpen has been this season. Uh, The bullpen in this series at the Reds was mixed. Uh, We found out that Felix Batista is, in fact, human. Uh, As he, on Sunday afternoon, allowed a run in one and a third innings. Batista, in the bottom of the eighth, gave up a go-ahead two-out solo homer to Brandon Drury on a 1-2 pitch. 
for a 3-2 Reds lead. If the O's are really going to be in postseason contention here down the stretch of the season, they need to get back to getting good starting pitching, especially now that Tyler Wells is out for a bit. Uh, The O's last Thursday morning put Wells on the 15-day injured list with lower left side discomfort. Uh, Well, O's manager Brandon Hyde in a pregame press conference on Saturday afternoon revealed that Wells has a grade one oblique strain. Now, grade one is not severe, but oblique strains uh, tend to be nagging and lasting. So we shall see what happens with Tyler Wells. But he overall has been the Orioles' best starting pitcher this season, and the O's are going to be without him uh, for a bit. Well, you need others to emerge. And emerging right now is the former national Austin Voth. How about what Austin Voth did on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Yes, the O's lost the game, but the final score was 3-2. Pitching was not the Orioles' problem on Sunday afternoon. Hitting was. And Austin Voth on Sunday afternoon, five scoreless innings with six strikeouts versus no walks. And he gave up just four hits, all of which were singles. Austin Voth now with the O's. 11 games, including seven starts, 31 and two-thirds innings, and ERA of 284. O's manager Brandon Hyde on Sunday afternoon in his post-game session with reporters on Austin Voth. He was outstanding. Yeah, I mean, that was that was at the max there. Be him going three innings the last time. He goes five innings for us. Uh, probably tired there in the fifth and was really, really good. So left in a 0-0 game. We just, uh, you know, we didn't score. Seems like you've gotten a lot sharper since moving back into a starting role as a manager. Is there anything that you can kind of attribute that to? I, no, I think that he's excited to start. And... Um, you know, we like his starter stuff. He's got a really good curveball. He had a good cutter today. I love it. He's really competitive um, and pissed extremely well. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I think he's uh, enjoying the opportunity and, and trying to run with it. I tell you, what is happening here with Austin Voth really is something. If you are an O's fan, you should be so encouraged by this because the O's are fixing someone who seemed to be unfixable. And if you're a Nats fan, you should be livid and you should be screaming to the heavens, why can the O's get this kind of production out of Austin Voth and yet we couldn't over the course of many years? So Austin Voth for the Nats over four plus major league regular seasons, 2018 to 2022, had an ERA of 570 over 181 and two-thirds innings. He, for the Nats in this 2022 regular season, had an ERA of 10-13 in 18 and two-thirds innings over 19 games. The O's on June 7th claimed both off waivers from the Nats. It has been a small sample size. I will grant you that. Austin Voth has only thrown 31 and two-thirds innings for the O's, but like I said, ERA of 284. And it remains impossible to ignore what both said to ESPN a few weeks ago. Uh, We on July 14th had the publication of a piece by ESPN MLB insider Jesse Rogers about the O's. Uh, The piece included the following quote from Austin Voth, quote, I was kind of blown away by all the data that they have here, the video guys and how they can break down stats and pitches and individually things for each pitcher. That was big for me. End quote. Uh, The O's, as you likely know, have gone all in on analytics. Uh, The Nats have the reputation for not being so much into analytics. And this analytically inclined approach for the O's 
seems to be doing Austin Voth a whole lot of good. Now, again, small sample size with Voth. I don't think we should go too crazy with what he's doing with the O's, but this is something. I mean, a guy who for years struggled with the Nats, all of a sudden, is like a different pitcher here for the O's. Uh, also for the O's in this series at the Reds was the return of Kyle Bradish. Uh, this was good to see. Kyle Bradish was back for game one, and he had his first good start in eight starts. Uh, the O's on Friday afternoon reinstated Bradish from the 15-day injured list. He had been on that since June 24th, retroactive to June 21st with right shoulder inflammation. And Bradish in the 6-2 win at the Reds on Friday night, two runs in five innings, seven strikeouts, Versus no walks. Uh, terrific. He gave up five hits, a homer, a double, and three singles. Issued a wild pitch. Threw 81 pitches, 52 strikes, versus 29 balls. But I say terrific with Bradish because, boy, had he been in a rut. The O's on April 29th recalled Bradish from Triple A Norfolk. He was good in two of his first three Major League regular season starts, including being excellent in a 5-3 win at the St. Louis Cardinals on May 10th. Two runs in seven innings, 11 strikeouts versus no walks. And then everything came apart for Kyle Bradish. One bad start after another. Uh, Bradish in his most recent start prior to what he did in this series at the Reds, a 7-6 loss to the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on June 18th. Six runs in four into third innings. He gave up 11 hits, a homer, four doubles, and six singles to go with a walk. So, yeah, I mean, to see Bradish not get shellacked was a victory in and of itself, but he was pretty good on Friday night. Nice to see that. Uh, but we did have Dean Kramer struggling again in this series, too. Uh, Kramer in Game 2 struggled for a fourth time in five starts. See, in the 8-2 loss at the Reds on Saturday night, allowed six runs in four and a third innings, gave up a whopping 10 hits, two homers, two doubles, and six singles. He issued a walk. He recorded three strikeouts. He did throw strikes, 88 pitches, 60 strikes versus 28 balls. But uh, Dean Kramer had looked good for a while. He has not looked good here lately. Like I said, he now has struggled uh, in four of his last five starts. Next up for the O's, the three-game series at the Texas Rangers. Game one Monday night at 8.05. Spencer Watkins will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Game two Tuesday night at 8.05. Jordan Lyles will be the Orioles starting pitcher. That is, if he has not been traded uh, by the O's. And game three, Wednesday afternoon at 2.05. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 367. We'll have a lot for you from Commander's Training Camp as we will have practice on Monday off the team having not practiced on Sunday. Also on Tuesday's show, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. We'll see if either team makes a trade or trades on Monday uh, and we also have games. So the Nats uh, Monday night at 7.05 will begin game one of a three-game series against the National League East leading New York Mets at Nationals Park. The O's on Monday night at 8.05 will begin game one of a three-game series at the Texas Rangers. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. With going back to Chase for a second, is there... I guess when, when, when you get- guys, I, I can't tell you, I, I can't. You guys want me to give you a number? I can't give you a number. I don't want to put pressure on the young man to try and hit a number that I can't give you. I mean, it's frustrating for me, you know, and to, to get asked every day the same question. 
and I give you this, try to give you pretty much the same answer, okay? Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.